0: Merry Christmas, Stephen.
1: Merry Christmas, Erica.
0: We have just watched episodes two and three of The Three Doctors. That we
1: have. Uh, we're now into 1973, a long last. Yay? Yeah, I guess. Okay. So just because it's now that it's the official 10th anniversary year.
0: Gotcha. Okay, gotcha.
1: For all those keeping score at home.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is probably a lot considering Doctor Who fans.
1: How many years have we been doing this podcast?
0: I don't want to think about the answer to that question. because
1: <laughs> no, I'm just thinking it's – now we're in their 10th year. We've, it's not taken us 10 years to get here, thankfully.
0: No, but I don't know, probably like four at least. Probably more. Let's See, this is why I didn't want to think about the answer to this question. That's true.
1: <laughs> we're still – we are still, I think, uh, over a quarter – well over a quarter of the way through the uh, number of episodes in Doctor Who history because there is still – one quarter of the entirety of Doctor Who existed in the first five years of its existence still to this day almost 60 years on
0: that is banana pants yeah
1: we'll, we'll blow through the Sylvester McCoy era like in a weekend because it's so sh- relatively short Th-
0: that would be good to just get it out <laughs> of the way
1: but you thought the same thing about John Pertwee and you're kind of a fan of this era more or less so
0: yeah but I hadn't seen these episodes before I've seen all of Pertwee
1: <laughs> all of McCoy I
0: mean all yeah. of McCoy yes yeah
1: and we've seen all of episodes 2 and 3 of uh, of the three doctors so what 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 comments do you have to make for about these two
0: um i remember people complaining about the brigadier being a bit of a boob in this story and i didn't see it in episode 1 mm-hmm. so much and now i'm reminded why people say that because it's 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 frustrating this is you know or into the 10th tenth, tenth year of yeah. Doctor Who. The Brigadier has been around for quite a long time. He's seen a lot of stuff. It's like he's got... What do I keep calling it? Steven Tyler. Um, Steven Taylor. <laughs> uh, disease. <laughs>
1: Thinking, what does the I'm curious here because I'm thinking maybe like maybe Stephen Tyler in like the you know Walk This Way, Dream On era was like a lot smarter. But then by the videos for the ones that start, Alicia Silverstone, he's like, why is he so dumb? He should know after years of rock and roll what to do with this, but he doesn't. I like this.
0: I'm always afraid of making the Steven Tyler Steven Taylor mistake. <sighs> yeah, cuz I knew who Steven I knew who the lead singer of Aerosmith was many years before I knew who Steven right. Taylor from Doctor Who was. But he is the one who has to see many 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 things that seem impossible mm-hmm. before he starts to believe things that are even remotely like impossible. And I feel like it's the Brigadier backsliding quite a bit. Um, you know, it's it's always part of his character to be skeptical yep. and not, you know, believe at first. But this is definitely a bridge too far when it comes to him just absolutely refusing to listen to anything. Uh, I mean, Sergeant Benton is like just completely on board with reality and the brig is out there. So I just, I need some headcanon to make me feel better about this. Now, the Brigadier is married to two different women over the course of his. Uh, sh- lifetime on the show. Is that correct? Uh,
1: mm, there. Well, there was going to be a cut scene in The Demons where, remember, the bar- brigadier goes off to some fancy party while Benton and Yates are left watching the shop and a female hand was to hand the f- oh. phone to the brigadier and they they, tro- they chopped that out because it might be considered too risque. Uh, and then there's Doris, who he knows at some point, but then it has married... Um, Come Battlefield, so mm-hmm. I think that's the only one that I okay. know of, yeah,
0: for some reason, I thought that he had a wife who was or a girlfriend or something who was mentioned earlier on um, like during this era, and then come battlefield there's somebody named Doris which is a different name than we'd heard before no same person same okay darn cuz my headcanon was going to be that like he's at this point he's going through a breakup or something like <laughs> something's happening in the brigadier's personal <laughs> yeah. life
1: we we don't see all of you know no. listen the, uh, last year he's there in the day of the Daleks, mm-hmm. and then not there for peladon not there for sea devils not there for the mutants back a little bit for the time monster maybe like in between that time like the brigadier just sort of like well Weird how the doctor leaves and there's nothing for us to do here and maybe he, you know, sort of...
0: Maybe he's having some sort of career crisis. Maybe that. Uh, Yeah, just there's. I feel like in order for me to buy the brigadier acting like this, he needs to be completely distracted by something else, like Uh super, super important. Because you know the brigadier is very good at his job, and getting distracted is not a part of generally a part of his character. But here, whatever it is, is has thrown him off, and you know thrown him back. Or maybe antimatter just makes him a little bit thick.
1: I don't know because you know I could sort of say well you know, the fact that Benton is going through the exact same thing as the Brigadier. He was there in the invasion with the Cybermen, with Troughton. Mm-hmm. Um, although Benton has now in two consecutive stories because the time monster, the Brigadier mm-hmm. goes, I don't understand any of it. And then Benton goes, "It, you know, it's the gap between now and now. Benton gets it. Mm-hmm. Benton seems to be you know, not necessarily understanding why, but understanding what.
0: I mean, he's. It's sort of like Benton is a little bit, and I don't mean this as a joke about him being turned into a child, a toddler in uh, in the previous story, but like it's sort of like the out of the mouths of babes yeah. sort of sort of idea. Like he is not smart enough to get hung up on the things that he doesn't understand. So he just takes things at face value. Whereas the brigadier, you know, taking things at face value would be really bad for the brigadier in his career. Whereas somebody who's a little bit lower down the food chain, you know, taking things at, face value and just following orders is what you're trained to do so like on that level it makes sense to me that benton is just like yep i will believe what you say and that the brigadier is like no i'm not going to believe what you say until you know i've had some sort of proof my problem is just that he's had years of proof at this point that the doctor is a trustworthy character and that wacky things happen when he's around. So, I, you know, I'm I'm able to sort of set my annoyance aside because I just like so much of the rest of this story. Mm -hmm. But I absolutely recognize the complaints that people have about the way the Brigadier is written in this story. And I do think it would be better if the Brig was not written quite so boobishly.
1: No, uh, someone has to sort of be, you know, pushing back so that someone can explain. And oftentimes it's Dr. Tyler. But he's also a scientist. And so if he was... You know, made to be what? I don't, this doesn't make any sense. And I'm a scientist saying that, so it would look silly. Benton, not as much either. Joe, certainly not, because she's, you know, new to all this.
0: I don't think this story requires no. somebody pushing back, honestly.
1: No, I don't think so either. But, you know, to take, I mean, we're fans of the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People tuning in on BBC One on a Saturday night in late 72, early 73, going, what's this all about? You know, I feel like there's always sort of been this compelling to sort of explain to the general public who don't necessarily watch Doctor Who every single week
0: I know but as I've said so many times you can do that Mm -hmm. without somebody pushing back and being a fool about it you can have people explaining things to each other in a joyous manner that Mm -hmm. hey I've figured this out or even you know Benton Asking the question because he doesn't understand it. And then the doctor explaining it in a way that Benton, AKA the viewer Mm -hmm. can understand and boom, Bob's your uncle. You've got it. So I I don't think that it's a, like it's it, I think they're, they're trying to add comedy
1: Mm -hmm. and,
0: and dramatic Mm -hmm. tension. And I think that that side of things is a failure because I think the comedy in this story, uh, comes from the doctors and mm-hmm. i think that the, it should just be coming from the doctors because they are delightful with it and also you know occasionally from joe just being so matter of fact about the the things that she knows i mean she's she here. joe saves the day again yeah. by pointing out hey you're two time lords you're two of the same time lord kind of mm-hmm. and you know if he's got his force of will then you've got some force of will why don't you try using that or why would he bring you here if uh if he doesn't need any help, if he's all powerful. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. So, you know, it's I mean, maybe it's a little bit more of the out of the mouth of babes sort of argument that she just sees so clearly to the heart of the matter because she's not distracted by all of the scientific mumbo jumbo that's that's surrounding it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, this is this is the the fact that Joe is so awesome in this story, I think, to me, makes up a bit for how awful <laughs> the brig is, which yeah. is. It's still a shame, though.
1: It is a shame. I'm not, I'm not trying to defend the decision. I'm just trying to sort of explain what maybe the thinking was at the time.
0: Oh, no, I think you're right about that. Yeah. I just think that that thinking was wrong.
1: Yeah. Um. I also, I'm wondering, just back to the headcanon bit, like maybe like you see how agitated – the brigadier is about what am I going to say to Geneva? Uh, you're his assistant. How am I supposed to explain that the unit base has picked up a move somewhere? I feel like he's, since the doctor has sort of been off on his own a little bit on missions to the time Lords or, or elsewhere um, maybe I feel like maybe the brigadier has had to attend more meetings in Geneva mm-hmm. and now sees he, he's basically become a man of the ministry. Um, and he's sort of begun to thought like, think like them and how it is basically these things are an inconvenience to his report that he has to give to Geneva. And so he's begun to uh, to deny the reality in order to um, make his reports easier to fill out. So that that sort of, you know, corporate malaise has sort of <laughs> entered into the brigadier's conscience at this point.
0: Yeah, I like that idea. That's sort of an interesting, you know, it fits in with a career crisis idea that, yeah, he has, when he's in the moment in the past, he's been able to just work with the doctor very, very smoothly. But yeah, you're right. The doctor has sort of been pulling away and the brigadier has been pulled in a more... uh, yeah, paper-pushy direction. Yep. Mm-hmm. And
1: he's probably attended way more meetings than he ever thought he would have to do during the early years of unit. But now that there probably aren't as many alien invasions happening when the doctor's off on Peladon or Solos, he's thinking, well, off to Geneva again for another meeting. This could have been an email, but here I am <laughs> in Geneva in a big conference room.
0: Or maybe there's a big finished story out there existing or yet to be written where the brigadier has a little adventure just before the story and it does something to his brain and makes it like, it's good, you know, at the end of the story, well, you know... We sorted everything out, and it was right. great. It's going to take you a few weeks before your your mind gets back to normal after that weird, you know, brain buzz that True. you had, Brig. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but don't worry, you'll you'll get there.
1: <laughs> or maybe this all ties into Modern Dead later in the future, and this is like oh. part of it. Maybe it sort of ripples through time.
0: <gasps> oh, I like that idea. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we're, we're looking ahead to on dead, but there are clips of this in 2 and 3, especially when the Brigadier first enters the TARDIS, forms a great part in the montage, and, and, uh, and I'm wondering if actually it's not a clip uh, used in a montage, it's actually when his brain starts to break. that <gasps> Him walking into the TARDIS is sort of the first, and that sort of ripples back through time, and, and sort of like creates okay. scar tissue around this time period for him.
0: I, all right. All of the other ridiculous headcanon that we just came up with, out the window. This is it. This is the new headcanon. It is accepted. This is a time travel show. Mm-hmm. And yes, it is It is all the faults of the events of Modern Undead yeah. rippling back through time. I am on
1: board. I love Modern Undead, by the way, and I can't wait to get to that story. <laughs> I love it too. We're 10 years <laughs> away from that. In show time, not necessarily podcast time, I hope. Uh, what else about this here? Uh, we've we've They've gone off to the Quarry, they've met Omega in the form of Stephen Thorne. Mm -hmm.
0: I wanted to point out that, uh, you know, we talked about the Time Lords' cloaks and how cool they are. They're sort of like blue, shimmery, Mm -hmm. and stuff. The costume on Omega is definitely reminiscent it's not exactly the same Mm -hmm. like fabric and pattern but it very much feels like an echo of the same type of like the 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 sort of coloring and shimmeriness of the cloak Mm -hmm. and the design on his sort of like neck plate chest plate thing is a little bit similar to the structured construction that they have um on the Time Lords, so I feel like yeah, like good job to the costuming department because they sort of drew a subtle line between the Time Lords and Omega, who is you know one of the the first of the proper Time Lords. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: That's future Oscar winner James Aitchison, and indeed designer of the the traditional, the classic Time Lord costume uh, to come in the Deadly Assassin network. There, mm-hmm. so yeah, skilled,
0: very skilled. Yep, yeah. and also you know I I appreciate this. Expansion of Time Lord history, the idea that to create the power, to get enough power to time travel, they send him off to do some solar engineering and he kind of gets sacrificed and then like, you know, it... The doctor says, we thought you were dead, which totally makes sense. And then you kind of wonder, uh, but does do the people on the high council actually think he's dead? Mm-hmm. Did they sacrifice him on purpose? Maybe he's got an, a point. Maybe not. Maybe everybody really did just think he's dead. But it doesn't matter because when it comes down to it, he has been there for thousands of years and his mind has started to go. And it's not like he is looking for help and, you know, he spent all of this time building up his power and his will to be able to get some help and just get back. Mm-hmm. By the time that he has the capacity to create the time bridge and bring other people here, he is far enough gone that he just wants revenge and power. And that's all. And that's like it's sad. It's really a tragic story. This is this is the tragedy of Omega mm-hmm. uh, coming to sort of its, its close here. And, and I like that. It's kind of poetry a little bit.
1: It is. It's kind of a Malcolm Hulkian type of thing. Sort of like not a straight up bad guy, but he's actually like someone with layers in a way.
0: Yeah. Mm. Like he's, he's, he wants to do bad things, but there's, there's a reason for, for why he got to be the way that he is. And he still needs to be defeated, but I, it, it's nice. Like, you don't always have to understand the motivations of the bad guys. Sometimes it's nice to have just somebody who's just evil for the sake of evil, and that's fun. But I also like that that's not always the case, and, and this, is, uh, this is a good example.
1: Yeah, happens a lot. If, uh, any... Um sort of villain in the show that you can sort of like, you know what, John Pertwee, I'm just going to have a sit down on this chair here across my legs and let's just have a good old chinwag, you know. That way you can sort of see, like, oh, we're reasoning here with this. So he's not just sort of an, an evil fellow, you know. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that. I like when the doctor has a casual sit down chat with the villain of the piece in mm-hmm. like episode two.
0: That does seem like a Pertwee-esque <clears throat> thing to do too. And I think that this these two episodes really sort of show the difference between the the way that these two doctors that we mostly have right now are mm. are operating you get you know the oh my giddy aunt and the second doctor being like you know I want you to listen to me but you're not going to oh no oh no yep. uh, and but still you know he he gets things done he rejiggers the brigadier's radio to be able mm-hmm. to make it work and has to bang it on the TARDIS console to Classic. to get it yeah like that's that's nice it all feels nicely second doctory uh, and then you have on the other hand you have the third doctor who sits down calmly and crosses his legs you said to have a have a chat and try to you know reason with it, and then we get to the end and they're going to fight with a you know a battle of wills, and you think, oh, okay, this is just going to be their faces zipping back and forth, just the way we had with the uh, the two doctors there, and no. No, we need to visualize this uh, this battle of will somehow we got we got to show how tough this battle actually is, so we 're going to have yeah, the third doctor is going to fight the dark side of omega 's mind and it 's just a weird guy in a mask and a shiny spangled giant spangled costume, and they are going to wrestle in slow motion on a black background. And I am going to mentally check out and watch the kittens on the other television.
1: (laughs) El Singulero is uh, Warren on Radio Free Scarlet calls him because he's he's Omega's uh, foray into uh, Mexican wrestling.
0: Oh, my God. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, Because it's it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. But I understand it. It's like, you know, this is a way to, again, set apart the third doctor mm-hmm. from the second doctor. This is part of what the third doctor does. He's an action hero. Yeah. He's a star. So we need to see him having an actual hand-to-hand combat to visualize the the mind thing. Also, you know, to be fair, I would prefer to just see them staring at each other and I don't know, grunting or something yeah. like that, sweating or something, the camera moving back and forth, or not moving back and forth, but cutting back and forth. Mm-hmm. That would be my preferred way to watch a battle of wills, but probably children in the 1970s would have gotten real bored with that. Mm-hmm. So this is, I think, I understand the choice. It's a better way to make it clear that there is an actual battle going on. That there's something happening. So while I don't like it, I still I get it, and I'm fine with it.
1: Yeah, and uh, can I just point out credit to the uh, uh, as current production team even though they've uh, they've all moved away from Cardiff now but of the Chris Chibnall, Matt Streven's era where I love the, the contact whenever Jodie Whittaker's doctor sort of talks either with the master or herself or something mm-hmm. like that and she says contact contact just that hat tip to this uh-huh. I was very pleased that I saw that for the first time in series 12
0: yes that made me happy too I liked that a lot uh, also just thinking to you know the, the Jodie Whittaker era and now we have the revelation of the timeless child yeah. it's very interesting that all of like the high council the time lord folk they clearly think that William Hartnell's doctor is the yeah. first doctor they refer, they literally refer to Patrick Troughton as the second mm-hmm. doctor and uh, it's just like yeah so they really buried all of that uh, pre-Hartnell doctor stuff Nobody, nobody knew about it Mm-mm. Not even them. Yep.
1: Mm-mm. Not even the show. Not no. even Stephen Moffat. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's all new. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. Um, anything else about these uh two middle episodes? Um Rex Robinson, his doctor Tyler, just run off
0: ugh I like i i got the feeling like okay he's a scientist but i bet he was he he strikes me as a guy who's in the army and just <laughs> oh, was just everyone was oh really that's Back true, Lillian, that's true. Yeah. but yeah so he sort of had that i was a i was a soldier maybe a commander or something right. like that mm-hmm. and was uh i want to go my own way which right. i mean to me seems it really bothers me a little bit because he's supposed to be a scientist and this is a world of antimatter. He has to know that there's not really a good way to actually get home because he doesn't really understand how he got there. His only real chance is sticking with the doctor who was the person who was targeted. And I don't know, that just, that just bothers me. There's like, he's supposed to be the smart guy, but he, his leaps of logic, they're not leaping. Like he's stepping backwards in logic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's stumbling in logic. Whereas then you have Joe making smart connections and even Omega making smart connections being like wait a minute that that organism thing was supposed to target a time lord so why would it have brought you here although at the same time why would it have brought all there and you know like it's not just bringing time lords but whatever it's fun stuff
1: yeah yeah mr aulis is you know he's observed but doesn't have the sort of like you know the the force of will to lead mm-hmm. anything so he immediately becomes subservient to the brigadier even though he's probably the more competent of the two <laughs> yeah. you know and there's Dr. Tyler who should be the smart he's basically becomes the brigadier of the science world in this because he's mm-hmm. sort of you know in over his head and yep. kind of denying everything and mm-hmm. Yeah, he is. He is very much a skeptical science. You know, like, yeah. oh, what do you mean? You can't just think up stuff. Look, I could touch this and everything. Like, he's, mm-hmm. he's, his skepticism comes from a scientific background. You know, that's true. He's, uh, you know, logic only enables him to be wrong with authority. <laughs> uh, to quote Patrick Trouton from the Wheel on Space. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, he's so he's kind of dumb.
0: That's true. Yep, you make a good point.
1: Uh, anything else about these two before we uh, wrap it up? Wrap up Chris's Day. We'll watch an episode four, of the three Doctors.
0: Yeah, sure. But no, I don't have
1: anything else. (laughs) Yeah, sure. What would you like to say? All right.
0: (laughs) No, yeah, sure. We can watch the the next one next.
1: Okay. Well, uh, the Tissue Pit is out at Kitten Academy. The funny thing is, is that uh, Mr. A on the Kitten Academy uh, YouTube feed brought out the Tissue Pit for the kitties to play in at the exact moment when the two doctors walked in and and looked at uh, uh, the the Flame of Singularity. And I thought, whoa, maybe that's what the Kitten Pit is. Is singularity.
0: It's filled with red tissue paper, so it's just like...
1: "It's like." But, but the same kind of effect as you'd expect from Doctor... Although here's just a bunch of steam going up, but...
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah, tissue pit of singularity. I like it. <laughs>
1: tissue pit of singularity. Hopefully, we will see more uh, parallels uh, in the episode to come <laughs> yep. of the three doctors here on the Lazy Doctor Who Christmas Special 2021 on the Incomparable Network. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.